Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. This season, we're digging into 1975, and this week, in your bonus episode, we're trekking through the man who would be king. I'm your host, your Sherpa. Is that cultural appropriation if I say your Sherpa? <laughs> man, let's just get started with it. Let's just start doing it. <laughs> I'm your guide through these treacherous mountains, Mike Gravania. And with me, as always, is you already heard his voice, Movie of the Year regular, Greg. I am here, ready to talk about this movie and have a good time with my friends. Also, we have with us Movie of the Year regular, Ryan. I am also here and a regular. And... I am currently regular. Okay. You've been taking the medication the doctor said you should take? Well, I tell the doctors what I should take, and I finally did it. You finally told them what you should take. And yes. And it was mostly opiates, which makes you regularly not pooping. That stuff really backs you up. With us as irregular, and I hope she isn't, is the Unnatural 20 Zone books. I can't say I've ever had quite an intro like that. Um, might be a new <laughs> favorite. I am here irregularly, um, but in all other things, very, very regular. I'm pleased. Good. I'm glad we all know how everybody's doing <laughs> right now. What's Wait, we super did, regular? We didn't talk about Greg's pooping. Oh, Greg, how oh, you pooping? Yeah. yeah, honestly, how you pooping, baby? Uh, everything's going really well. You guys know I'm into intermittent fasting, and I've been really emphasizing uh, my hydration lately. And together, that's kept everything a okay. Feels racist. <laughs> <laughs> honestly this whole week has felt like a little iffy i have to say just this is a racist week can we just chalk it up no matter who or where or how you are the man who would be king john houston angelica's dad wayne's son i don't remember his it's a dynasty wayne newton's son wayne newton houston's son the man who would be king i'm gonna start in alphabetical order books Overall, how are you feeling about this movie? I'm I'm feeling a little bit misled, and that is because this movie was pitched to me as a delightful romp. (laughs) (laughs) I have some strong feelings about whether or not we could absolutely classify this as anything delightful. So, can you argue that it is a romp? It is. It is indeed a romp, but uh, delightful might not be my adjective of choice. Roger Ebert is a bastard in that way, and how he described this movie. (laughs) Greg? Yeah, I did something I never do, which is after I watched this movie, I was like, I have to read the reviews of this movie. Because uh, if I had to if I had to sum up this movie in one word, it would be vile. This is a vile <laughs> movie. It's disgusting. Uh, and I figured all of the reviews at the time would be like, this is just racism, the movie. And instead, they're like, what a rip-roaring good time, man. These guys are just out there, and they're just in the boonies, and like, there are a whole bunch of hijinks happen. And you know what? In the end, they're gentlemen, and that's what counts. And I, I, like, I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to the show, both so I can just complain about this movie, but also we can arrive at like what the what is it trying to do? What's it trying to be? Movie, what's the point of you? Like A delightful romp, I think. <laughs> this is what it's trying to do. Ryan? I thought it was a delightful oh ride. I knew you would, because who's racism? The panelist, it's Ryan. Uh, no, I would say that this is uh, this is a movie that is hard to recommend to people, I would say. <laughs> sure. Uh, like your racist a- grandpa. You know why you love him. Right. <laughs> I, I would say that, yeah. I would say that I this is like the racist grandpa. this country might love this movie though actually like i this is the kind of movie that i feel like half this country would be like they don't make them like this anymore 
Actually, both sides mm-hmm. would say that, but they would ha- they would mean different things. <laughs> but I I do think that there's a lot to talk about with this movie. I do think yes. it is interesting as a sort of antique, and interesting as sort of like sort of where we were with filmmaking before '75 mm-hmm. and where we're at with filmmaking in '75. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I don't I don't think as much as I don't think that it's like recommend this to anybody and let them have an adventure on their couch. Uh, I do think that there is a lot of really good stuff here that may be tainted by racism. And uh, what's not delightful and romp-like is, I think, interesting to talk about. That you just described America, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) America is no longer interesting to talk talk about. Uh, My my issue with this movie, to, to move away from the racism, which I'll go on I do have a, I do, I do have a problem with as well, uh, but kind of expected <laughs> that, but is, uh, I don't think it's enough in any direction. It's never funny enough. It's never dramatic enough. It's never adventure enough. Yeah, like what, but what's, it, it, what's the it point kind of, of it? Drags. What's it doing? And so maybe, yeah, maybe that's what you're, what's the point of it? Because at any point in any given scene, I'm like, if you just tweaked two notches this way, or two notches that way, and especially with the actors they got, you could crush different moments but it really felt paint by numbers with like, we just got to do this. Right. And then to learn that it was a passion project. All right, we've come too far. We got to dive just right in. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, actual discussion about the man who would be king. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website It's called yourpopfilter.com, And it's, Everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! The man who would be king follows two ex-British soldiers turned con men, Peachy and Danny, played by Michael Caine and Sean Connery, respectively. They that Sean Connery was McGruff the Crime Dog. <laughs> Sean Connery, only you can stop. The forest crimes. fires? <laughs> forest crimes. <laughs> forest crimes are also important. My name's Forest Crimes. <laughs> no, that was more JFK. Two, these two guys decide India's getting too civilized and rule-laden, so they decide to smuggle guns into Kafiristan and take as much power as they can. Turns out that much power means one of them becomes a god king and the other builds a bridge. It does not go well for them or their friendship. Or the bridge. Director, or the bridge, which really bummed me out most of all. <laughs> Director John Huston had been trying to adapt the 1888 Richard Kipling novella for years, originally with Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart in the roles of Daniel and Peachy. But then they died before he got his shit together. Next up, he approached Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole, and then in the 1970s, he approached Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Newman said, hey, Brits should play Brits. And I'm sure no one said anything about who should play the citizens of Kafiristan. 
The movie yeah. expanded the role of Billy Fish, played by Saeed Jaffrey, to become Danny and Peachy's loyal interpreter, and turned the unnamed narrator of the original story into Kipling himself, played by Christopher Plummer. When looking for the perfect Roxanne, who Houston described as the absolute heir princess, he met Michael Caine's wife Shakira at dinner, and the role was locked. The movie is 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, and both Caine and Connery considered it their favorite to work on of all their lengthy careers. Taste buds, I ask you this. Despite a Hall of Fame director and a classic author, does enjoyment of the man who would be king depend solely on how much you enjoyed these two knuckleheads together? And regardless of how much you enjoyed it, is the movie making the argument that they're heroes? First of all, how did we, like, after Mike said Kane and Connery's name, he said so many other names with no Mike impression. Where, when are we going to get our bogey and our gable, Mike? And our Peter oh. O'Toole? Okay, I thought you wanted, like, Shakira Kane or Cy <laughs> Jaffrey. I'm like, no, but this is Peter O'Toole. Okay. Right? Okay, Pretty right. dead on? Yeah. I think that was a cross between Peter O'Toole and Peter Lorre. But keep going. <laughs> Every Peter sounds the same to me, and it is Peter Lorre. Uh, who else? Bogues? Bogey. Here's looking at you, kid. All right, let's move on. That was pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's what he would sound like today. Yeah, okay. So the, the, the let's talk about the characters just for one second. Are they are they ultimately supposed to be heroes? For so much of the movie, I would argue no. The movie was accurately portraying them as dirt bags. Yeah, but then when you're when you're like when your two leads say we're gonna go take these guns and then overthrow a small village and install someone as a king and then overthrow him and leave it in chaos, that's the movie presenting oh, these two guys as bad, right? It, it, to me, it undersold. It was Plummer's look at the end of the story. It wasn't like you fuckers. He was just like, "Oh, you gentlemen bastards! Yeah, it, oh my goodness!" Plummer's look through the entire movie is like, "What the fuck is going on?" And Peachy, but with respect, Peachy <laughs> goes out like a hero. Like at the end of the movie, they march out like gentlemen. They march out of this mm-hmm. civiliz- this little town that they've like basically started to destroy. They march out like gentlemen. Um, Billy runs into the crowd. He's like, I won't run anymore. I'm going to fight them. And it's just torn apart by the crowd. Uh, and then, um, Danny, Danny like sings like with, with pride on the bridge as he's like killed. Ultimately, doesn't the movie like laud these well, guys? Yeah. Aren't they shown in a finally heroic light? I feel like I'm more heroic because I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> You're the peachy of it all. But Oops. I mean, like he's not going to have a good life. Well, no. it's like even... Before they like march to their death, too, they have that like noble, like, I forgive you for just being this awful human being moment, too, which seems like a moment where they're trying to be like white people mm, but at forgiving heart. white people. <laughs> so, but, look but, at these- nobody else will, Greg. <laughs> That's the whole thing of it, though, is that the whole movie is uh, the entire run of Entourage, where the first half <laughs> is like, wouldn't it be cool to hang out with these guys? And then the whole back half is like, oh my God, fuck these fucking guys. <laughs> This is fucking terrible. Even fucking Billy Turtle. Billy Fish. Oh, sorry. He's not an amphibian. Get it right. But in part, I found the two guys so loathsome that it actually took two actors that I like quite a bit. I love both of these mm. guys. And if you told me they were they, you know, they were going to be the stars of a movie, which I guess you did kind of, then I was like... <laughs> which is not something we really get in 1975. Yeah. I was so excited to see it. But it's like, they're self-evidently loathsome but the movie doesn't seem fully aware that they are and they play right. something in between their natural occurring wit and like these weird kind of like macho and i i read the short story today novella i, 
Uh, I'm sorry. It's a novella. Really? Okay. I might have read something very abridged then. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, like, he- <laughs> you, read, you read the back of a novella. <laughs> um, there is nothing about, like, cheeky banter in the novella. Like, they are, they, I mean, like, it's, you know, it's, you know, there's a narrator and they're just telling about these plights. The dialogue is sparse. And the, the, John Houston, Michael Caine, Sean Connery of it all of the ba 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 ba. That is all added for the movie. Well, yeah, Rudyard Kipling was not known as like a witty bant kind of guy. But see, here's the thing: is that I think that Houston wanted to do something more modern or postmodern than what he had originally planned with Bogey and Gable. I think that was the intention. And then he gets Caine and Connery, mm-hmm. or as I call him, Canary, and <laughs> sure, he, Canary, and. Uh, it just, it, I, I think that that is the issue with the movie is that I think that Houston wants to do something that is ready. You know, like th- I've learned a lot in my life. I'm almost 70 years old. I want to do something that does talk about how awful all of these movies were that I made in the past. And then he's like, but I'm still going to cast two da- uh, ravishing leads and I'm still going to shoot the shit out of it. And I'm going to make it look awesome. And bitch, you're doing the same thing. You're making them heroes. Is it is it Tyler Durden theory? Like Absolutely. he got caught up in yes. how cool, so he forgot what he was supposed to be doing. Absolutely. That's I, I, I'm at least glad to hear that it, they do seem like jerks to other people because it it feels like the movie can't digest whether or not it wants to say colonialism is bad. It seems <laughs> at, at, it seems like it might have an extremely darker, more cynical message, which is like. Yeah, colonialism is bad, but honestly, these places are so fucked anyway. What does it matter? Like, people are just like bad everywhere you go. That's like mm-hmm. the most optimistic reading you can give the movie. Yeah. What what I found, if we're trying to be optimistic, what I found interesting is looking at it because they are they love each other, and Plummer wishes he could be them as he kind of looks down upon them. But and I think if Billy Fish was the eye eye of the story, that would be interesting because here's a guy. Who I know, went but, through a lot, has dealt with British people, but he seems so pure of heart that it does feel like the movie takes his view of them. But if you look at most other people they deal with, like the the high priests and Roxanne, they're like these fucking dirtbags. But we don't get a lot of time with them. We mostly get these two guys being like, it's it's. I get Ryan and I think Ryan and I are the coolest, funniest guys to hang out with. But I know what other borderline people don't. Connery. But people we don't know at bars, how they view us, and it's how the high priests and Roxanne view Kane and Connery in this movie. Did you guys see yourself in these two characters? These guys? I don't want to. <laughs> they're like they're their own little state everywhere they go. It's just the two of them, and no matter where else they go, it's just like the buddy and, system. And Kafiristan is the podcasting world, and we're taking it by storm. <laughs> With guns. That is very problematic, Ryan. <laughs> I know. You're going to have to apologize for that later. Never. I will later. Um, the, I mean, the problem with Billy Fish, though, is that uh, he is he is more likable than them, but he mm-hmm. does have this thing of like almost more tutorious, you know? I I think that the, it, the movie, from his point of view, would have been a better movie or would have had more nuance because maybe we would have seen a little bit of guilt. But I think what the movie actually does, and this might be too sly, you know, like I have heard that this movie doesn't do any one thing correctly or enough of one thing as much as it should. But I think the thing that we're looking for is when Kane and Connery smirk. And Mm -hmm. every time they smirk, that is a death knell 
That is when Houston's like, oh, you motherfuckers. You have either raised the ire of the race that you think is lesser than or the gods who you believe don't exist. But it's it's Kane smirking as he counts gold or Connery smirking as he gives down decrees of like as judge Judy and executioner. Uh, that smirk that they have is go is how they're going to meet their fate. You know, that's what that's how this movie stands on this side of. Mm-hmm. In in how they inhabit their roles, books. How do you feel these two like legends of cinema do? I mean, I think it, they're legends for a reason. They inhabit it. Kind of. I I want to go back to what Ryan said. Um. I'm trying to collect my thoughts because I think I disagree with that a little bit. Judge Judy and Executioner? Yeah. Are you saying that's not a real phrase? (laughs) It's more Night Court and Executioner? Yeah, like every time they smirk, it's like, oh, it's coming to you. But alternatively, in that viewing them of the hero, they did get what they wanted at the end. They just didn't get it for the longevity that they wanted because their alternatives were going back to England and being dirt poor and working shit jobs and never getting recognition for like their service in the military or helping England colonize another country. So if you look at it like from that perspective, like, yeah, they died before they wanted to or not on their own terms, mm-hmm. but they still lived out what their goal was for a brief period of time they did it the best it could have actually been one of them was thought to be a god for a while but if you think about who doesn't want to betray their best friend because power goes to their head (laughs) okay that's weird if you think about how long this movie is it was for a very short amount of time yeah but the the adventure the anticipation of it all is part of it it's like sex it's like sex like it's talk. like sex. It's like uh, talking about the screenplay you want to write. It's more fun to <laughs> in terms of running talk time about in the movie, which is probably what's important. It is a short time, but it's within the world of the story. It's a, it's a fairly long time because one yeah. of them has a chance to leave and then come all the way back. And it seems like mm-hmm. he, you know, uh, Danny stays in power for at least a little bit. Is it like is- enough to go to his head? I think that's part of it. Is like I I, I think they are great actors. Uh, but it's the movie, the way it is paced, they didn't have enough time to show. He didn't go full Apocalypse Now the way he should have, Connery. Uh, because it was like 10 minutes of the actual movie that he was God King. And so when co- he's like, hey, you should bow. It's like, okay, that's step one. And then we get step two and never to step 10 where we should get. That's true. And the other thing, too, is that these might be great. These are probably great actors, right? Like, yeah. they might one be great actors. Is. But what, we are, what we're seeing now is great stars. Like, they... Mm. That's the thing is that like I think that this there was is Ocean's Eleven in every version. Kind of, yeah. Like they, there was this initial message of like we don't want to make the movie that we would have made in 1949. You know, we want to make it like now, and so we want to say some things. And then they hired people who like could not keep their like their star personas down. No one mm-hmm. believes that this is two people who are in this time wearing these uniforms. They are straight up these people being like, "What? This is crazy." It's Bill and Ted. It's Bill and Ted. <laughs> Go okay. to the and you, you, I want to see the remake with that. And you know who it should be, Ryan? It should be the two from what is it, Fun and Games or Funny Games? Like, oh, that's yeah. what these two really like. They should remake this movie and have those two guys just be psychopaths because that's uh-huh. really... the, the Dutch version or the American remake. But you, you want Michael Pitt in it? Either way, we need that time with that. Like, that's the thing is that it didn't go too far, and that's why I think that mm-hmm. Houston had good intentions and bad results is because he couldn't stop himself from making a hilarious adventure movie and so we don't see them looking in the mirror going you're the king you're the fuck right. you're a god you're a god like i do every morning and so what you it fit, what you get is it, almost a scene by scene tone change 
where like you're not sure how you're supposed to feel about them or about what they're doing mm-hmm. or about the land they're in and it, there was just no authorial voice that came in and said no this is exactly what we're going for here and that missed opportunity is like i think magnified in this movie because what it leaves in its place is something that's just like has almost no redeeming but as value. mike said it's just somebody reading heart of darkness and just stripping all the boring pages out you know like this <laughs> no. is this is too like thoughtful about the uh like what a man goes through or what a human goes through in order to absolutely go insane which these two totally did yet maintained their Kane and Connery cool the entire time uh we're going to throw all those pages away and so we have stars the whole time and you just you can't god does not give movies with both hands like you can't be as thoughtful as this movie thought it was going to be and also as rompy as it turns out to be we must take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the 1975 of it all. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, You can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Taste buds. Between the look, structure, and feeling of a film, this ain't new Hollywood. This is an old school studio adventure. What about this movie does feel 1975 or feels that 1975 needed it? I'm not saying that Greg and McKenna are wrong, Mike. I know how racist this movie is. Please let me in with them. Oh, I'm not saying that Greg McKenna and Mike are wrong, Mike. You don't often hear people asking to be lumped in. I would like to be lumped in with with the wrong side of the argument, too. I'm just saying, can we imagine if I'm right? And I do think that John Houston was trying to do something that like he wouldn't have. Can we imagine if he had made this movie at any of the other points than he tried to make it? I think this movie would be worse. Even like Quentin Tarantino is going around saying that John Ford is the worst director of all time. And that is because the treatment of Native Americans in his movie. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but it feels a little woke. It feels a little like. Uh, Famous woke but, guy Tarantino, but I mean, like, what he's trying to do is like make up for, you know, lost time. Is right. That, uh, this guy who has definitely influenced his career or influenced people who have influenced his career, uh, he's going around and saying this guy has has zero filmmaking ability because mm. Native Americans were treated poorly, and he's pulling from movies where in <laughs> literally every movie that came out that year, even if it was like a gangster movie, treated Native Americans poorly. You know, right. like I don't know what we do with that information. This movie is... The whole country, uh, really. You, I think you could give a real low grade. <laughs> and yeah. that country, we're talking about Canada, right? Because they're <laughs> yeah. on the hot seat right now. Oh, shit, yeah. Um, we're but fine. yeah, I mean, I, I do think that like there are there is some not great stuff here, I guess. 
<laughs> Where was I going? Where was uh, I going? We're with talking this? about seventy-five. Of yeah, it all. the not, the not, Oh, uh, okay. Well, well, so uh, okay. the seventy-five of it all is it to make it a little bit postmodern, a little bit like the Unforgiven of its time. A little bit, not enough. Uh, My issue is so uh, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope made a bunch of Road Two, movies. The Road to Bali, the Road Two. I think the two of them would have made a better postmodern. And they're it's a ha- they're hacky. They're bad movies with bad people in them, but they would have made a better. The man who would be king. The road to the man who would be king. The road to Kafiristan would have been a better postmodern take and show what dirtbags these guys are than this version did. It, yeah, I just... Go ahead, go ahead. It feels like in the 60s and 70s, pop culture was trying to tell us not to get involved in Afghanistan. Like, this, the other... the, the If you look at the entire history of Afghanistan... It's told us to not get involved. In yeah, but I mean, specifically, man. like like Dune comes out in the 60s, right? And it's all about, you know, what a boondoggle Afghanistan is for Russia. And then this movie comes out and it, it seems like, you know, oh, yeah, colonialism wasn't very effective in Afghanistan. And then 25 years later, America's like, I'm going in. Now it's going to be my shot. And it is, I, I think, kind of timely that like the last American military presence in Afghanistan just left like three days ago. And we're we're watching this movie that is about like mm-hmm. what a difficult geopolitical situation Afghanistan. Well, that's is. Afghanistan. This is Kafiristan. So, yeah, but isn't it like a little hat on top yeah. of Afghanistan? Greg, this is just mm-hmm. the very northeastern part of Afghanistan. Very yeah, different. I don't know if this counts, Greg. What you're saying? Although maybe I guess that is that that's part of the problem, right? Is that this movie projects like a people as all being the same, and I guess my comment right. is doing the same thing, which is just like, well, they're in Afghanistan. Like, well, no, they're. They're in Kafiristan. They're in their own. Well, place. the 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 was it the Treaty of Versailles that just fucked up the entire world? It was just white people from all over going. Ah, here's carving out territories, and these people have never been and it always, together. So why would they be a country? It always and feels, all hip hop will start. My name is Blank, and I here to say. <laughs> and it feels like this movie is always on the cusp of making that point without right. ever really fully. Again, we're just going to the same thing, but without ever fully committing to it. The 1975-idness of it to me, I think, is just that, like, maybe that lack of center is very 1975. Like, who in this story can you look at as an exemplar? Who is in control of the situation? Who is really, like, demonstrating moral courage and leadership? There's nobody, right? It's a total vacuum. And 75 loved its question marks, but Greg, I fucking, I will bet so much money that the thing that, it's the thing that you said earlier... Uh, you said that you read like critics and they were like, this is the best movie ever. They were so desperate for old school Hollywood. <laughs> they, they had watched. I just so don't many want fu- questions. Yeah. They had watched so many Nashvilles over the last like three years. And they were like, look at this movie. Sword versus sword. I love it. I'll, I'll, I'll t- do you know what worked or it seemed 1975 is uh, Danny, Sean Connery's character does flip where in the beginning, he seems like the more grounded one. They're offered boys. They're like, do you guys want our women? And they're like, I'm no. Like, okay, does a spit take? We signed this contract. And then they're offered boys. And and Danny's just like, chill out. It's a different culture. I'm woke. I don't know what your deal is. And then, but again, that's what, I'm, what I said earlier. It's not enough if like, it really nailed into his arc of trying to appreciate these folks and then being like, nope, I'm your God King. You know, that would be a dope movie. You know what fucking culture does that? Hollywood culture. Like being offered girls and boys, that's like that's Hollywood. Like the, this is like this is why the 
the movie is fulfilling like that what Saeed says like the othering right Mm -hmm. it is pointing a finger it's just randomly pointing a finger on a map and being like these people do sex with kids and it's like we know that's a huge problem in Hollywood we know that like that is something that Hollywood tries to point that other people do Sorry, I got. Yeah. I I just hate this movie so much, you guys. <laughs> it's got a lot of lack of self awareness, mm-hmm. but it's even more ironic that it points at the exact issue that it's not aware of its own and still never sees a problem. Or it is aware, just bad at showing that. Dude, the 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 most aware I think it shows is when the line that's echoed in my head that did make me laugh. I liked it is you'll be able to stand up and slaughter your enemies like civilized men. That is the one. <laughs> 0.5 seconds that the movie fully had its tongue in its cheek. It's like, see what we're doing? And then it forgot it before and after. You know what it is? It's just that you can't tell a tale about colonialism without the truth of how awful it is asserting itself, even if you don't mean for it to, even in times mm-hmm. where you don't mean for it to. It is just so antithetical to like moral good that it will find its way into asserting itself in any depiction of it. Let's talk about one part real quick. I don't know if this is the 75 of it all, but I want to get this out there. Uh, Danny and Peachy are fucked. Like, they're dead. And then they laugh so hard that it causes an... About their previous exploits, <laughs> that it causes an avalanche that then allows them to uh, go across the crevasse mm-hmm. and make it to Kafiristan. Mm-hmm. Is... I mean, is this just Kane and Connery, like, uh, nature is bowing down to their star power? Or is this just a, a, a mimic of what white people, how white people think the world that, is for them? If, if we're being generous, and again, if we're saying what Houston was trying to do, it'd be like, look how easy it is for white people. They laugh themselves out of absolute death and into situations and think it was because of their skill. Yeah, we're I mean, not we're even not. talking about race yet, but <laughs> and because it is, it is supposed to be. It, didn't you get the sense reading the novella, Ryan, that it was supposed to be kind of a fun romp, like that? It's like an adventure. It's a high adventure, you know. It, it, it's it's Robinson Crusoe, and it's, but everything in the novella is still there. Of like, we are basically demigods. Yeah, and it's really hard to know the difference between and I, like I also did some reading about Kipling, and he is like. He is not a fan of people who are not like white or male, <laughs> and like such a huge fan, yeah, of white dudes, right? Like, I mean, this is guy oh who, god, like, he loves white. Yeah, dudes. he's just like, man, we're everyone is so lucky that white dudes are around, <laughs> which, which is, is a something that that's I, not as I grow up, I don't know if I agree <laughs> with him. Well, it's clear what we've wanted to talk about <laughs> the entire show, and we're gonna do it after this break. <laughs> As we've talked about since before we hit record, the man who would be king has, let's say, a complicated relationship with race. Is there any way to defend the film, if not the actions of its two leads? And can something be a critique of colonialism and still be a wretchedly vile racist piece of irredeemable garbage, as I quote one of our (laughs) panelists? That does sound familiar. (laughs) I think definitely something can be um can can poke holes in colonialism and, and take issue with colonialism and still be racist because heart of darkness is a perfect example of that right heart of darkness is about the horrors of colonialism and then also manages rebels yeah it like it goes out of its way then to be racist like i'm reading about the reconstruction and it united states reconstruction and it's so crazy how often people 
in that time uh, would be like, okay, honestly, like I'm for the North. And they would always have a caveat. And then they would say the most racist thing they could possibly think to say, like, but just so you know that I'm reasonable, here's a little racism to get me through. Right. (laughs) And so like, you see this a lot too, when uh, you see like liberals sneak into MAGA events and interview MAGA people, like let's say about uh, critical race theory. And they're like, well, do you think that slavery should exist? And they're like, well, no, but like oh buckle yes. in here, here we comes go a very exciting but uh, and so but i don't think this movie manages to do that i think that it is so mealy-mouthed in its criticism of colonialism and then just so blithely racist in every single way using both signifiers from the middle east and signifiers from like the american south like i think that there's a way in which this imports actual american racism and puts it into the fantastical realm of like mid-east racism i think that the whole scene where the the guy gets on the train and he's eating Mm -hmm. a watermelon and it's oh shit it's like and he's just like Mm. he keeps saying thank you sir no matter how awful michael Caine is to him i think that that is a a weird jim crow scene in the middle of this movie which has nothing to do but then it makes that con- and played for laughs. Yeah, and right? then it makes that connection. And when you think of okay, well, then the, then the director is, is John Houston. Like it also, I think, connects to a lot of like Native American racism, and it seems to sort of like create this umbrella racism, like that unifies a whole bunch of unpleasant American ideas all together under the guise of maybe commenting on them. Can I make you explain? the the umbrella the how it connects to native american like i get the the, the watermelon bringing in the drink pro style stuff i understand i i think that the way in which the mass of afghanis is uh sort of portrayed as undifferentiated um and a almost part of the scenery like that this land comes with some scenery that happens to be people mm-hmm. i think that is very much the way in which Native Americans are shown in a lot of Westerns that like Mm. the things you might encounter are a rattlesnake in your boot or a sandstorm or some Indians. Right. Uh, And they might, it's just like an element. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And not a people though. Like not that you're encountering a people you're encountering like a spirit that sort of passes through the land. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. the same. I think that middle Easterns are refigured in that same way in this movie. I think the movie starts off as like something where like, Michael Caine is supposed to be disgusting as disgusting as we think about him right now. And the movie just won't let him be because of how we shoot him and the dialogue we give him. Like he is, he is like so awful in that scene. And then the movie's like, ah, come on. He's white. He's a little handsome for Cockney, I guess. And he's, he's kind of funny. He's a charming scamp. We just, we can't have a whole movie about what it's like to be a bad person. That's what everyone else in 75 was doing, but not this movie. Right. Books? I it just, I was building off of Greg's point too, like not even just that we're bringing American racism into it and building off of that, but that all races can be unifiedly like lumped together as lesser and we're not even going to distinguish, which is an American racist, but like a British racist thing too. But it continues throughout the mask scene where he asks like, what is it, Halloween? Like those are like East mm. Asian masks. They're not yeah. even from India or anything corrected. And it 
that's not the characters being crappy characters putting that on. That is the movie itself not even doing the ability, like going out not and doing researching. The research. Yeah, and that, and that speaks to the film itself, and not like are these characters shitty people? It's it's close enough. Yeah, it, it was. So a I I want to. Oh, but I, wanna... I do think that's a big thing though. Is that the movie thought it was close enough to not being racist? Mm-hmm. Well, seventy five could be just close enough. In, in seventy five, saying you're one of the good ones was a compliment. Uh-huh. And Jen right. should or be like, woke. You're well spoken to and say that to Billy a black Fish, dude, right? Know? Billy Fish is quote one of the good ones. He's the one that they're able to mm-hmm. civilize. And what that means is he like betrays his own people and but then he like marches Can with speak them. English. He he sacrifices. He loses himself. his life. He could have gone celebrity away. worship. Yeah. yeah. Just just loves everything British and thinks it's automatically better. He's like, Oh, you're trying to trick everybody? Cool. I'm full. Yeah, sounds in. good to me. I mean his catchphrase his catchphrase is by Jove. You know, which mm-hmm. is the old school by Felicia. Uh, I want to go around the horn and force you to do something you might not want to do, starting with you books. Defend this film. What is working in this movie? I think this film should be watched for the sake of even when you think you are being progressive, your true racism is going to come out. Good, good start. Defend this film. <laughs> what is working in this film? Um, okay, if I'm going to defend it truly and honestly, the acting I do think is strong. I think there's something about Sean Connery. I think there's something about Mike, Michael Caine that even when I don't think the dialogue was that funny, um, them delivering it had an mm-hmm. element of charisma, which works for it. Um, and even when they're supposed to be either like just not the most intelligent people or just the most hated things that they're doing. Uh There's an element to them that is still enjoyable to watch because of who they are as actors. And that will make, I guess it possible to continue with. I I know that was difficult for you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Greg, defend, (laughs) defend this film. Well, I would say it's primary. No, I would say it's (laughs) importance is that it helps to capture an idea of what, a 1975 progressive look at race relations was like. And then in so doing it, it also ossifies and collects like these really terrible caustic ideas. And so then we have it presented not as like someone else talking about racism, but as an artifact that is itself employing racism. But that's not exactly defending the film. So I will say this. No, I was going to say the same thing. Defend this film. It seems like, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me like they went and shot a lot of this on location and managed Mm. to capture, um, capture a people and, and exploit the hell out of them i'm sure but uh like put down on film uh some of their cultural expressions and there's a lot of like um a lot of people in the background and, and places that maybe we wouldn't have any american films of at all and i uh you know i think that there's probably some value in that and it wasn't just a bunch of uh white people that they like made to look like middle easterners it was you know as far as i could tell it looked like um it looked like they really went to afghanistan to make this movie ryan i think it might be easier for you defend this film and i mean like pound for pound performance to location shooting right like where it could look hot where the camera is but have snowy mountains in the background like the background just looked amazing yeah he shot the hell out of the movie too like it's 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 very it's beautifully shot and i think that sometimes that may have tricked him he was like look how well i'm shooting this i'm white <laughs> is this a good movie they're white saying- uh but no i like to defend the movie i would say that we this is a last gasp for a lot of reasons i think it's the last gasp of the studio system before 
uh, a ton of people went and took over. And I think it's the last gasp of like, oh, you think you're liberal, but you don't know you are. And that's always going to be a battle. You know, like there are so many liberal movies that come out today that won't be in, you know, 35 years from now or 45 or however long it's been since 1975. You know, shit will change. I do think that they thought that they were doing a good job. And he's an, he's and so an maybe, old man in 75, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's 69. No comment. Years old. Shit. No comment. Nobody has any no comments? Comment. He's, zero, six, he's 69 years zero old. Zero comment on that one. That's, it's old, but it won't feel old in a few years for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's the comment. Um, but no, like I, I, I do think that uh, I, I'd like to watch the trying here. And I do, I do think it's interesting to see how it's not just because of racism, but because of filmic language. The mm-hmm. way that film works. He was like, I'm trying to make this even. Where or even where like the uh, quote unquote savages are obviously smarter than the imperialists who are trying to take over. That's what I'm trying to do. But mm-hmm. I can't, I can't not make them funny and handsome and shoot them with mountains in the background and then ruined his entire movie. And I think that's I, I, that's why this movie stands out. I think a huge part in a, a modern version, like who, who who's like somebody who would try, but if Zack Snyder made this, it'd be way slower. But uh, a modern version would give subtitles and let us hang out with just the priests. And that would open it up a lot more if we could hear them talking shit and on And see PG their and pre-existing Danny. divisions. And the, Oh, my goodness. What were they like yeah, before? Exactly. Yes. A, mo- a modern movie would give us uh, all, all of these tribes and cities versus Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey. Like, yeah. That's how oh, you would have to do it. That Okay, I want the... Kafir what are those Kafir brothers? Stan? The Farrell the brothers. The brothers? <laughs> not the Safety brothers that no I want the Safety brothers to do this <laughs> the Farley brothers uh, version of it well that is all the time we have to talk about this movie also Mike did you notice that when I said a modern movie I picked a movie from 1995 that, that yeah you're a very old man yeah. you're the one I was talking about when I said 1969 or being 69 isn't that far for some of us yeah I that understand you. that now I hope you know <laughs> nice when we come back how would this do in the bracket well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody, keep watching them movies. Can you believe that I don't know how many awards The Man Who Would Be King was nominated for? Like five, dude. Like this was... Oh, yeah, four. More, yeah, five. More than we normally give. Normally, it's like, isn't that impressive that we're going to give it awards because yeah. it was not... This was award... Maybe you nominated for Hollywood too many. Hollywood ate this up. Go to the Wikipedia and look at critical reception. Like you said, it's a 97% on, on, the, on the Rotten Tomatoes. That makes me think that if we go back and watch the King's Speech, we're going to be like, oh, this is a horrific movie. There's so many issues with this. This is much better than the King's Speech. Oh, shit. Gauntlet Throne. I disagree. There's no no Colin Firth (laughs) at all in it. All right. But we're giving three away tonight. We're starting with cringe. Books, what is the cringiest moment of this movie? My um, cringiest moment is chosen because I know it was not meant for um, cringe and the lack of self-awareness really got it for me. And it's the moment where they ask, are you gods? And they say, no, we're English, the next best thing. And it's supposed to be like a joke of like, haha, isn't that funny to the audience? But it's it's that layering of like, but there's a level of you that truly believes that isn't there. (laughs) But yeah, Um, doesn't that mean that we're supposed to hate them? Like, 
That's proof right yes. there. Yeah. That's that was the intention, but looking at it now from the perspective of knowing the whole film, it's the even the people who wrote that to be ironic didn't realize the true irony of you guys are all still racist as hell and truly do have this element of like white supremacy like or white superiority. You know, honestly, rather than be self-aware, it feels like this weird sort of alt-right like almost being flippant or being ironic about your actual feelings, which is like yeah, you know, we said, like, it's the next best thing, but that's because we're, like, ripping on ourselves. But it's like, no, wait, you believe yeah. it. Don't try to hide you behind believe the irony. It. You act. I get to say it and until somebody calls me on it. Yeah. And I was like, no, I was, I was being ironic. Oh, you fell for it. You got triggered, Lib. <laughs> I don't want to hear Michael Caine say triggered Lib ever. <laughs> Greg, cringiest moment. I guess I'm going to go with this guy on the train. The first time I was watching it, I was like, the movie's going to reveal that this guy's in on part of their like scheme or something, and he's their like savvy friend on the inside, but he knows that a way you can really hoodwink somebody is by playing the, you know, the smiling, cheerful native type. And then it's like 45 minutes later, you're like, wait, no, that guy is just somebody he roughed up on the train, and like who was like thanking him for it the entire time? I, I don't know what the but- point is. I don't like it. It feels bad. The heartbreaking part of that scene is not that he gets thrown off the train because at that point the movie is now a cartoon, right? Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's it's no big deal. He says thank you, sir, as he's flying off. Like the movie is a cartoon. It's that he gets treated like absolute fucking shit, and then still feels forced to offer a slice of watermelon to this guy. Like, yeah. no, at that point, keep your watermelon yourself and fuck Michael Caine, or throw half of it at his head and knock him out. <laughs> And it's just like wh- take his watch. Why is it a watermelon? I I just don't like it. Like it just all it all feels so bad. And then to like be yeah, fair, and then he's like watermelon. Fucks. They try to pin it's a crime so on him, and Rudyard Kipling's like, you know, I know that you that like that that's not how my watch got stolen. But at no point, <laughs> yeah. But at no point, is yeah. He he's like, like, how charming. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pointing out the real Rudyard Kipling and what a bastard yeah. he was. <laughs> Ryan, cringiest moment. Uh, cringiest moment for me is is definitely the treatment of Utah. All mm. of the Utah jazz that happens is, I think, the worst part because I think that a lot of the people that they meet are treated not with respect, yeah, not with dignity, but treated. something along treated. They are treated. <laughs> they surely are treated. But this is the time where the movie and the characters come together to say fuck this no-toothed idiot, and he becomes a goddamn clown. Yeah. And that's the cringiest moment. The kind of clown whose head is a croquet ball. Yeah. And I don't even think that's that's that weird. Like, yeah, I mean, we don't have a soccer ball. We do have this head. Let's use it. I think what's weird is that they just make fun of him until they tell their new people to kill them, yeah. to kill him. Those are all good cringy moments. If I had to pick one, it would be uh, when... Kipling first like they're like let's meet up and I'm still I'm at no point except that they want to brag about the sweet plan they've made why they want to hang out with Kipling more mm-hmm. uh, and they're just like in full on brown face just like <laughs> doing poor Indian impressions and whoo this movie pound for pound performance let's try to be positive starting with you this time Ryan who you got I am going to go with that, Mike. I'm going to go with Christopher Plummer, who had the... Uh, he is new, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would eventually go on to star in Robert Wise's biggest hit, Sound of Music. Um, but I would say that he has the performance that is all of us, which is like, I am mildly entertained, but just shocked <laughs> and awed by everything that is happening right now. Um, and 
I think that he does a pretty good job with very limited lines of mm-hmm. being on the verge of tears, on the verge of clapping. Like, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do as a white writer. You know, because, like, this is the dream thing to land in your lap if you're a writer. But, oh, my God, am I disgusted by both of you. I'm giving so it to he, Christopher Plummer. Good actor, but didn't do a great Rudyard Kipling impression, though. No. Oh, no, his Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> he toured for years on his Rudyard Kipling impression. <laughs> Greg, pound for pound performance. I'm going to go with uh, Saeed Jaffrey, uh, who played Billy Fish. And let me tell you why. This must have been the hardest movie in the world for this guy to make except for the fact that probably you want me to do what yeah except i guess probably for the fact that he probably mostly was always just treated racistly in his career so maybe it wouldn't Mm -hmm. even stand out that much for him maybe if we mentioned it he'd be like oh yeah that's kind of every day on the job for me but uh he still turns in a, a funny interesting performance billy fish has almost the depth that that would be correct to give to a character Mm -hmm. uh not quite but almost if you made the movie about him i think it'd be really interesting and i think saeed jaffrey could have done it uh and he was the only one who didn't like make my skin crawl most of the time i i think it's jaffrey who's the reason why you're like i want to hang out with billy fish more like he he injects it and and talk about that is uh michael kane had to scream at the crew to get saeed a chair like the crew was also treating say jeffrey like an asshole so cool. until that's a few so days in so michael kane was like what the fuck is going on man what at least it does prove that michael kane isn't really peachy that's meaning nice. a character name peachy because that's <laughs> he yeah. sounds peachy as shit yeah he's he's a real peach uh yeah he stood up for his co-star and is like what the fuck are all of you doing don't you get what we're trying to make fun of we're not trying to really do it out here and then he went oh what are we doing sorry yeah, so then I'll kick this guy in the butt and he'll fall off the cliff and die and then I'll stand up straight. At least give him a chair. Books, pound for pound for performance. I can't say the word I performance have... tonight. <laughs> performance. I also did have uh, Saeed Jeffrey, Jeffrey as mine, but I'll also pitch up. I do think Michael Caine did a really good job playing this character who is like kind of disarming in his ability to like come off as like not too calculating, but always calculating. Mm. Are you saying that Kane was able? (laughs) Greg, books. (laughs) Uh, So I I do think that was an interesting character choice because the whole time you hate him, but you're also kind of struggling between like, you don't always know what he's going to do next. The element of surprise was always with his because he was kind of disarming Mm -hmm. in this like calculating way of not seeming that way in his body posture or his movement, but was. Very much so um, in moments. Yeah, mine would probably be Kane as well because he always, whenever he was mad, it's like, I thought we were going to be dirtbags together. But now you're saying you're a bigger dirtbag than me? Like, Mike, would you say Kane killed it? Kane killed ably. <laughs> Mike, are what? you the Kane to Mike Connery? Is that what you're saying? Yes, where Connery started like just going up his own butt, both the character and the actor. Thought he was a god king. And Kane was just like, I mean, not traditionally attractive, but I get it. If there is an interesting part of this movie, I, I will say the idea that Sean Connery is like, I don't know, man. Like, I have been a god here for a while, and I think I am, maybe? Like, I just, I've been looking about it, reflecting on my yeah. life, and I think probably I, I am god, actually. But the way they do it is like the two girls from Booksmart. It's like, I think I should go to college. <laughs> and the other one's like, what? No, we were supposed to be together. No, if, I think I could do this. If the beginning was, the beginning and the ends were shorter and the middle was so much more of Connery's descent and Kane being like, 
he's my best friend and I'm supposed to support him. I don't know how. That's Man. Uh, uh, I'm always I'm going to keep saying this throughout this episode. The the problem was that Houston wanted to shit on these guys and he couldn't help but love them and that is what yeah. ruined the movie. Finally, we have director's signature moment, Gregory. Um so they uh the gig is up, right? This guy's not God. And the people are furious what? because they've been subjugated. And so they're like, I don't know. It feels like we should rise up and kill this guy. Uh, and so the three of them, uh, Danny, Peachy, and Billy, march out in just like very proud fashion. But they don't just march out and keep going. No, they do something way prouder than that, which is they all pick up rifles and they start firing them indiscriminately into the crowd that's pursuing them. Uh, Killing holy men, religious yeah. men, like it doesn't matter. It's pretty indiscriminate. I mean, they're not really aiming; they're just kind of pointing the gun at the crowd, and all of them. Now. And it is like yeah. scored. The guy selling caramel corn, like that guy <laughs> didn't do anything. And it is scored, like this is like a brave last stand thing or something. They're just firing into a crowd uh, of people, and I just thought, like, I don't know if he meant that to be a commentary on himself, but. That is very much a commentary on John Houston. Like that that just sort of like that it's it's just brave for a white person just to shoot into a crowd of brown people. That like that should that, get a big score and that should get a big dramatic send off. And it, it like you don't even see who drops, but you just know people in that crowd are, are getting shot. That's why I think this movie is so fascinating, is because we don't know and he doesn't know and they didn't know back then. Like he just what are you doing right now? And he was like, I think this is how you make a movie. But like, he was unclear about all of his messages the entire time. Or every time he tried to do one thing, he his instincts took him towards another. And I think that's crazy. Books. Director's signature. Uh, it kind of speaks to both of that because mine is the scene right before Greg mentioned where you know he didn't know what he was doing and he was trying to do something. This is supposed to be an action adventure, adventure action film. And he takes so long he spent so much time in so many moments building to action that wasn't even monumental action so in the scene right before they grab rifles we spend a long time watching them walk down these stairs <laughs> and walk past these crowds and it also felt like a commentary of like it just kind of it felt racist in that sense too that these people couldn't even communicate effectively to realize that these are the people escaping and they were right. bad and like you supposed to it, they, they were, were like just, oh, watching them the walk stiff past upper lip of the English they were like awed by that like that they could just so proudly walk so they like they didn't even know what to do they were held at bay by their gentlemanliness well and exactly. that's if it was a better movie because throughout the movie they've talked about like this is what gets us through everything is hold your head up high and bullshit but mm-hmm. that would be better by Jim Carrey. And I was gonna say Jeffrey Dunn. Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels, thank you. Uh like how how absurd it is, but the movie was just like, see, it works most of the time. Is it King and Kinger? Is that the name? King, King and Kinger. What? Ryan, did you already do yours? No. Do yours. No. Uh mine is the long shots. Like uh John Houston will not waste a moment to show that he's like, I'm in motherfucking India, idiot. And or wherever he filmed this and Morocco. But here's what I love about it is that it's not just uh, shot after shot of scenery. Mm -hmm. Like he is putting action in the foreground and gorgeous in the background. And I think that's something that we lost. We have lost that with everyone from like, uh, I don't know, like Mel Gibson when he was writing movies to even like some European directors of like, oh, I'm just going to show nonstop shots of scenery in between action. And I think Houston does an incredible job of showing you what's going on and then the background. And the background is breathtaking a lot of the time. He also has narration, though, which is crazy. <laughs> How many short stories have narration? 
when they become a movie? All of them? I was going to guess none of them. But oh, none, none of them. None of them. Somewhere in between all and none. Yeah, I think you're going to find it somewhere in between there. <laughs> Mine, uh, so he did The Maltese Falcon. He did The African Queen, uh, Red Badge of Courage. Like, it's episodic adventures. Like, this guy is like, I'm telling one big story. I don't think he knows how to tell one giant story. He knows how to tell a lot of little adventure scenes back to back to back to back. I wonder if that's at all a function of the of the fact that they used to just like show the movies all day in the theater uh-huh. and people would kind of like check in and check out. So like if you just could just bop in the theater and you got like a 15 minute episode of that movie. Yeah. Like maybe. I also wonder how much it's a thing of like the treasure of Sierra Madre or the African queen are based on, they're all based on novellas. Yeah. Right. And he's like, I gotta, I gotta fucking add shit. Like I gotta add <laughs> yeah. little adventures in the meantime. Otherwise I'm going to run out of story soon. The final, not award, but thing we're doing is recommendation. If you liked this or want a better version of this, what would you do? Greg? Uh, As soon as this movie was done, I uh, (laughs) went to my bookshelf and grabbed Edward Said's Orientalism. Uh, Nice. Orientalism is is Said's book about um, how the West created something called the Orient as an idea to help define Mm -hmm. a diverse group of people but more importantly, to define what it was to be the West. Uh, And that's what this movie is. This movie is eschewing the violence of colonialism and saying that the violence is something that is inherent to the Middle East. Uh, It is eschewing the barbarism of its people and instead saying, no, 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 it's the the Middle East uh, that is barbaric. And so uh, the, the othering in this movie, which is like, a scene-by-scene, shot-by-shot, constant companion as you watch this film, because it couldn't be any other way, uh, left me so, like, I felt encrusted, uh, so <laughs> so insmudged. Uh, and so I went to this book as, a, as like, a, a cleansing, sort of, and I read the introduction again, and then actually looked up in the, um, in the, in the index, uh, Rudyard Kipling, and he has, like, three pages about how Kipling was, like, really just loved white guys and thought that like yeah. like the white men were the best thing to happen to these these people uh who had never like even thought of white people like that white people were the best thing when they showed up and started taking everything they wanted and imposing their will that that was just like making the world a better place um and it's like it it's just it helped me contextualize why the movie mm-hmm. upset me in so many different ways <laughs> yeah that book is awesome if you have the time I agree with your recommendation. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Books. Um. So I I did not leap to my bookshelf as soon as I finished, but I I think I leaped to some memories, and I would um recommend if you want to explore like the effects of colonialism, particularly you know British colonialism, I would either recommend White Teeth by Zadie Smith or The Buddha of Suburbia. Um, by Hanif Qureshi, who they both deal with like the after effects. So they're set later in time, but um, kind of realizing how colonialism is still moving. And mm. White Teeth in particular is set in, um, or the Buddha of Suburbia is set particularly in the 70s, which uh, works really well too. So I would nice. say both of those are great, both written by actually people yeah. of color. So, you know, <laughs> can tell the story against the movies, um, everybody. So those would be my recommendations. Nice. A lot of books getting recommended this week. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, okay, so I will go the opposite of 
what Max said. And I will actually, because I don't know if a lot of people have actually seen this movie. They know a couple of things, thanks to UHF and uh, Defy Bloods, which is badges or badgers. We don't need any stinking badges or badgers. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say The Treasure of Sierra Madre because this is, even though it was 50 years, no, 30 years before um, this movie came out, this movie does what I think Houston is trying to do, which is if you think you're a hero, you're not. You're doomed for failure. I think that mm. Houston tried to bring race into this and just really stepped on a 37 or 38 rakes, you know. <laughs> and I do, I do appreciate him trying to do it, but I almost wish that he never tried because all he did was show how bad he was at it. This is just a bunch of white guys who are trying to like do the same thing. Um, so with Greg and Bacchanes, you know, here's how other cultures make things. I can just feel free to say, here's how white people made white movies about white people. Um, and say, this is the movie that he wanted to remake, which is just the, uh, your ambition, your disgusting white ambition of wanting to be in charge or king or God will absolutely destroy you in the end. I'm going to pivot away from all of you, except for the, it will destroy you in the end, I guess. And, uh, if you were told this was a delightful romp about two lovable con men and were bummed and that's kind of what you're aching to watch now, go watch The Brothers Bloom, which is a delightful romp about two <laughs> lovable con men <laughs> where it's Mark Ruffalo and Adrian Brody being brothers and they just con everybody around them. And the ultimate con, I don't want to give it away, but one of them might fly too close to the sun and loses it all because he thinks he's a con man god king. Also, Mike, can I say uh, Nicholas Cage and Sam Rockwell? In Matchstick Men, delightful Matchstick movie. Matchstick Men, such a good movie. I thought you were gonna say Face Off. Also, but that can too, I, delightful movie. Can I say John Cusack, Angelica Houston, the daughter of this? Director. Who is perfect and is in no way besmirched by this? And no. Annette Benning, also perfect. And The Grifters, also exactly yeah. what Mike is talking about. Just delightful uh, romps. Uh, if you want to flip it a little, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, geez. The Heartbreakers. Also, Mike, if we could, Angelica Houston and Michael Jackson in Captain mm-hmm. EO. Captain EO, That is a delightful yes. romp. Uh, Angelica Houston, Christopher Lloyd, A Hand, Adam's Family. Yes, also, that's a romp. Uh, one romp, Mike, is uh, Houston and Los Angeles in the World Series. That one that the Dodgers lost. Houston beat them. Oh, boo. Uh, how about this one? Mm-hmm. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13. <laughs> Nailed it. Mike, do you I ever think, know when it's time to end the show? I think uh, five minutes ago, probably. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to ask how we think this would do in the bracket. Uh, uh, I'm can guessing, I ask this? Sure. Do we have a shot at best actor or best supporting actor as far no. as the Moody's go? I don't think so. No, I'm so piss pants about this, honestly. <laughs> uh, this movie cranked me up. M- my pants only have like a smattering of pee on them. Like when you... <laughs> Talk a little too quickly, but I also think that we've just already watched better actors and supporting actors. Than yeah. Maybe if this came really early, we were like, oh, okay, this is what 75 is like. It's the same oh, as 1949. You know and- what's weird? Like, I think if this movie were made in 1949, I would give it more mm-hmm. slack. And that doesn't seem 
right? Right? But like 75 was too late to be playing this game. You Yeah. You should have got this out of your system in the 50s, but that also doesn't seem appropriate. When it was cool to <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, when you were still allowed to be racist. <laughs> do you guys have you guys ever read, read or seen Gunga Din? No. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. The name makes me uncomfortable already. <laughs> <laughs> Books. Before we get out of here, plug shit. All right. If you're looking to hear more of me and only me, well, <laughs> not only me, but not these other three, two other delightful people, you should check out Unnatural 20s. It's a show where we don't often use our brains, but we do tell stories about ourselves and fail a lot. So if that's something interesting to you, check out Unnatural 20s, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can find us on social media as well. New rule. No, <clears throat> new rule, Mac. Uh, every time you roll a 14, discuss mm-hmm. what post-colonialism means to you. Is that? Can we put that on the show? Oh, it would be a hit. Or I'm say sure. Holy God's Pants. I think that was the catchphrase of the movie. God's saggy trousers. Uh, God, trousers. God's holy pants. God's holy saggy God's tra- trousers. God's holy trousers. That is all the time we have uh, through the rest of the bonus season. We still got night moves. We still got rollerball. We still got Sallow. Hello. So keep on watching those movies.